Good morning, church. We are excited to be alive today, and I do apologize. My <clears throat> allergies are acting up a little bit, and so I'm going to try and do my best to get through this message. But we thank God for each and every one of you that's listening today. Um, thank you for your health and for your strength, and I just pray that everybody is staying safe during these uncertain times. Um, despite the uncertainty, we know that God still sits on the throne this morning, and so it's Him that we worship. It's Him that we give reverence to, and it's him that we put our confidence in this morning. So uh, let's go into a word of prayer before the message. God, we just thank you right now for being alive today. We thank you for this opportunity to uh, proclaim your word as truth. We thank you, God, for your spirit that continually runs through our veins and our bodies. We thank you for giving us your mind that we may focus on others and not on ourselves. And I pray this morning that you guide my tongue, that you bridle my tongue and my heart, that I might speak your words and not my own. Help me, God, to proclaim your message and not my own. I desire that you receive glory and not myself. And so this morning, I pray that you prepare the ears of those that are listening, prepare their hearts, that they may receive the word that you've intended for this day. God, we give you praise and honor in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's go into the word. We're grateful this morning for all that are tuning in and listening, and I just want to thank you in advance for those that intend to pass this message on to friends or family members or co-workers that you think can be blessed um, by the encouragement of today's message, and so I just want to thank you in advance. Um, we started out our Lent 2020 sacrifice season um, with giving up things that call for serious consideration to be permanently eliminated from our lives. You see, every year, many people give up things for a period of 40 days with the understanding that after the Easter or Resurrection weekend, they can recover their sacrifice or go back to the very thing that they gave up. You see, this doesn't make them bad people um, as they intended to give the things up for Lent out of recognition of the sacrifice for Christ. Here's the challenge. Here's the problem is that giving up something for a period of time sometimes strengthens the desires of the flesh to want it even more. It's kind of like the spirit that Jesus talks about in Luke 11 and 24. He says when it leaves a person and the person's life and mind is sort of swept out clean, that that spirit leaves only to return with other spirits more evil than itself. And, it, and Jesus says that the last state of the person is worse than the first. Um, in other words, they're in more trouble or they're in a worse situation than they were before when there was just the one spirit. You see, there are some things that the Bible suggests that we should rid ourselves of permanently. There are things that we give up, but there are some things that the scriptures speak specifically to that, that God is just, he, he hates or detests. And we need to consider ridding ourselves permanently of those things, one of which is the issue of superiority. You see, superiority is an attitude. I mentioned earlier in a post this week that superiority in relation to pride they're, they're kind of a little bit of distant cousins is that superiority is an attitude that's built off, off of or it stems off of a root of pride. You see, superiority is about seeing others as less than or looking down on others. Let me warn you right now that superiority can't just be resolved by doing good or charitable, charitable things for others because you can actually do good for somebody that you think less of. You see, I'm not suggesting that we rid ourselves of charity or good deeds. Hear me what I'm saying. 
I'm strongly suggesting that this virus of superiority can't just be resolved by action alone. Proverbs 6 and 16 tells us that the issue is so serious that it, it, the, this idea of superiority, it makes the list of the six things that the scriptures say that the Lord hates. Topping that very list is, is what the scriptures call haughty eyes. Haughty comes from the root word meaning to elevate. So haughty eyes is about having an elevated vision or looking downward, seeing someone as less than. It's at the top of the list. Here's another watch out. The attitudes of superiority is not just confined only to those people that have possessions or status or accomplishments. Superiority is a problem of vision. You see, do we see ourselves as better than others or do we feel entitled at times? Before you answer too quickly, let me ask you this. Is an attitude of superiority the same as acknowledging there are some who are less fortunate? When we think about this idea of helping others that are less fortunate, it, by definition, if we deem them as less fortunate, are we saying that we're in a higher ground or in a superior perspective? You see, let me say this, and here's the point that I want to leave with you today. Superiority is not about how you see others. Superiority is about how you see yourself. Again, it's not about how you see others necessarily, but it's really rooted in how you see yourself. I can remember times struggling with how to respond to compliments. Definitely as I began my Christian walk, you know, I would do things and try to participate with the church and volunteer time. And when someone would come and express gratitude or pay a compliment, I kind of struggled on how to respond because I didn't want to take credit from God or I didn't want to seem that I was more or better than someone else. I didn't want to seem that way, but the encouragement and acknowledgement of my efforts or work, it felt good. It, it really, I really appreciated that. You see, what I did realize at that time was that I had a lot of moments where I expected rec recognition, but I didn't get it. You see, it's in that case where that, that lack of expected results comes doesn't come in that can develop into an attitude of superiority or seeing oneself as more than. Let me ask, how do you deal with this? Do you find yourself feeling some kind of way when others don't acknowledge you or the work that you've done? Do you feel the need to fill in the narrative or the storyline for others about who you are? When others maybe look down on you or, or, or see you or get you get a sense that they're seeing you as less than, how do you deal with that? Is your first response to straighten their understanding of who they're talking to, let them know reading your resume, is that the first position? You see, I'm, I'm grateful that this issue was important enough to God that he would leave us some mile markers in scripture to know where we are relative to this, this idea of superiority. If you have your Bibles in front of you, let's turn to the book of Numbers. We're going Old Testament. Numbers chapter 16. We're going to read just four verses. Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. If you find yourself sort of thumbing through the Bible, there's a really powerful page on the front called the Table of Contents. Don't be afraid to use it. Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read to you from the New Revised Standard Version. It's a word-for-word -word translation, but you'll be able to follow it just fine. It says, Now Korah, son of Izar, son of Koath, son of Levi, along with Dathan, 
and Ibaram, son of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth, descendants of Reuben, took 250 Israelite men, leaders of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men, and they confronted Moses. Verse 3, they assembled against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. All the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. So why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Verse four and final verse. When Moses heard it, he fell on his face. Let me read that verse four again. When Moses heard the words of Korah and all those that were with him, he fell on his face. So, so understand the scene. Here's what's going on. Korah, who's a temple worker, they're prided they're with the privilege of being able to carry the elements of the tent, the, the tabernacle, that it was the place of worship, was the place that God would inhabit as the Jews went in their wilderness uh, wandering. Korah had some of that responsibility. But here he was claiming to the priesthood, or at least calling himself equal with Aaron, who was deemed as the line of priests. He, along with 250 of the most prominent and articulate leaders of the people, they came united confronting God's choice of a leader, Moses. You see, months earlier, when you look in the scriptures, if you go back to Numbers 12 and 1, the Bible says that Moses' own sister Miriam and Aaron, Moses' current companion, questioned whether Moses was the only one God could speak through. Think about that. This wasn't Moses' first time being confronted by people questioning his authority and leadership to lead the people. You see, remember, it was God who chose Moses and not Moses signing up for this responsibility. Truth be told, when you look at scripture, Moses didn't want anything to do with it because he saw himself as inadequate. When you go back in scripture and you read Moses' conversation with God, Moses was, he he felt like, you know what, I can't speak to the people. I have a, a speech impediment or a stuttering issue. He felt less than himself, but yet God chose him as adequate. So here it is. Moses is confronted by this crowd of 250 of the most prominent and important people of the community who were challenging his legitimacy. Their argument was that because all the community is holy, as we see in Numbers 16 and 3, Moses and Aaron should not hold elevated positions of leadership. And verse 4 says, and Moses' response was to fall on his face. Wow, it's incredible. You see, falling on your face is a common gesture of pleading in in the ancient Near East, in in the the region where Israel is located, it was a common gesture that you would fall on your face. It was an act of calling for mercy. But you see, recognize that Moses wasn't pleading to Korah for Korah's mercy. He was pleading to God's mercy for Korah's sake. Keep in mind, Korah and many other people confronting him, they were born in Egypt. So they saw all the great miracles that had been done. They saw Moses being used by God to to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They walked across dry ground. They saw the many plagues that Moses ushered in in the name of the Lord. But you see, it's in those moments that sometimes, you know, people forget who God called and why God called them. And, And again, it's about how do you see yourself? Superiority is not about how you see others, but it's about how you see yourself. 
You see, I'm sure if you and I were allowed to rewrite a portion of scripture, when Moses is confronted here, we might have Moses to give Korah a piece of his mind or, or pull out his staff and do something mighty. But the Bible says that Moses fell on his face. Superiority is not about how you see others. It's about how you see yourself. You see, Moses not only kept his cool, but he remained in his purpose. Sometimes you and I are confronted by people and people challenge us, and it may not be in a church setting. It could be on our jobs. It could be family members. It could be for a number of different reasons, but you and I must never lose sight of our purpose. We are called the light of the world. We're that city set on a hill. We are believers. We're, we're God's representatives. And so if we act out of line, if we cut up, if we give people a piece of our mind, here's the question. What glory does that bring God? What shame does that bring God? I'm sure many of you listening to this message have been wrongly accused of things or you had your good deeds misinterpreted. Moses was in no way a perfect man. He's accused of murder. We see him having an anger issue. He's got some a physical speech impediment, but yet Moses kept his purpose in the presence of these leaders. Remember, an attitude of superiority develops when you have a distorted view of yourself. Romans 12 and 3 says this, don't think you are better than you really are. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. You see, it's important that the view of ourselves, that it is aligned with God's view of us. So when we see Moses, I think this, this scene is so powerful because he's standing in front of this crowd of, of, of 250 plus people, and <clears throat> he's got the most prominent, the, the educated people standing in front of him. Here's Moses, and he, the Bible doesn't say his, his stuttering problem was resolved. He could have been stuttering in that moment, but yet he falls down on his face in humility. He's standing in his purpose because he realizes is that it, it's God that's fueling him. It's God that called him to this place to lead these people in the first place. And so if God raised him and put him in that place, man cannot take him down. Here, here's the second thing that I want to point out about Moses. And so when we look at Moses' response of falling down on his face, the, we're looking at someone looking at Moses as less than. But what happens when God's leader is in a position to, say, rightfully possess an attitude of superiority? What, what, what is Moses' response? You see, as the story unfolds, Moses calls out to two of the other co-conspirators of this mob, Dathan and Abiram, who were in their tents, the scriptures say, while the mob confronted Moses and Aaron. If you go to verse 12, the scriptures say that they declined to come out to even speak to Moses, but they continue to blame Israel's punishment. They're wandering on Moses and Aaron. Verse 15 says this. It says that Moses was very angry. In some translations, it, it reads that Moses was, his anger was white hot. He was extremely fired up. He was, he, was, he was angry and had every right to be able to, to probably pounce on the people that were in front of him. Every right to roll out his resume of all the accomplishments and all of the reasons that, that he was chosen as leader and all of the things that God had done through him previously. But, but here's the hit. Moses, in his anger, <clears throat> excuse me, at the people, he turns to God. 
He turns to God. I'm sorry about that. My allergies are going again. <coughs> Excuse me. He turns to God, telling them of his own integrity and not the behavior core and the band of rebels. Another powerful moment and another example of how we are to respond. You see, in the first response, <clears throat> there were those that were prominent that were coming against Moses. They had the superior position and they try to look down on Moses. But now Moses, in this position, standing in the place that God had called him to, he calls out rightfully to these other leaders that had created this mob, this conspiracy, but yet they don't come out to him. Moses could have turned to God and, and to spoke words of anger and, and, and asked God to just rain down fire. But the first thing that Moses says is that, Lord, I was responsible in how I dealt with them. I didn't take any of the grain offerings from them. God, I, I, I didn't do anything to, 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 to pull about, you know, punishment on the people. You see, Moses began to turn towards God rather than the people. Moses, in his anger, he turns to the Lord, which is a rightful place. You see, when people uh, look at us and, and say we're in a position where people let us down or we, we get to a place to where we, 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 we can roll out a number of things that may justify our position of how we could feel a, an attitude of superiority. Do we launch into that and do we tell people why we should be the ones that should be exalted? Do we look and, and tell people about our own accomplishments or our resume or, you know what, this is what God has done for me before. This is why you should respond to me. <clears throat> Moses' example was he turned to God. You see, it was God that brought him to this place. It was a God that was empowering him and empowering the people to be able to come up with him, against him. But you see, superiority is not about how you see others. It's about how you see yourself. It's not about how Moses saw the people, but Moses had to look at his own actions. And those are the things that he put before God. He said, God, I've been faithful of the things that you call me to. Now, we read Moses' story later down in life, and we see that Moses' anger gets the best of him. But in this moment in time, there's an example that's laid out in Scripture for all of us. And that is that when we have the higher ground, when we're at a place where God maybe has blessed us and God has, has showered us with his favor and anointing, do we use that as a whipping board or as, or as an example of how other people should act? Or do we say that, look at what God did for me, you should follow my same footsteps? Or do we turn to the Lord in gratitude and say, you know what, God, I thank you for what you've done. Do we share the, the truth with others that we didn't do anything to deserve God's favor? That God, because of his own choosing, chose to put us in a position maybe of authority or maybe of his favor. You see, superiority is not about how you and I see others. It's about how we see ourselves. And my appeal to you is that try to line your vision up next to God's vision as it relates to how he sees you. Let me say this, God, regardless of our, our, our past deeds, regardless of our past failures, regardless of, you know, lives of sin that we might have lived in, regardless of, of how we've done things that maybe we're embarrassed to speak of now, or maybe we're too ashamed to testify about, regardless of that, the Bible says, God, God says, yet while we were still in sin, God sent his only son to die for us. We were worth that. 
And so how we see our others should be how God sees us. God sees us as needing a savior. He sees us as insufficient and inadequate without him inserting himself to empower us to live for him and to live a life that, that, that can be deemed as holy. You see, here's the thing. You, we don't have enough time on this message here. I would love to dive deeper and to go further into the text. We can spend another 30 minutes because there's so much there. My encouragement to you is to go and to read all of uh, Numbers chapter 16. It's a powerful story because you get a chance to see God's response to Korah and the band of rebels that came up against God's appointed one, Moses. You see, you'll quickly see that God really does hate haughty eyes and, and, and why it's on that list that we see in Proverbs 6 and 16. You see, the next time you find yourself being looked down upon, let me ask you this, what will be your response? Pastor and professor and counselor Chuck DeGroote in his book, The Toughest People to Love, says that difficult people require us to see the bigger picture. We must understand our own part in the dysfunction of others. You see, part of the support of an attitude of superiority is to not see our role or accountability or lack thereof to the lives of others. When we look at others and we see that, you know what, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Pastor DeGroote suggests that we need to look at ourselves and ask the question, what is our role to inspire or to change or to impact the dysfunction that we might be looking at? The next time you find yourself seeing others as less than, or, or it may come off as <clears throat> they need to get their act together, ask yourself, what is God holding you accountable for? Is God putting your credentials and commitment on the line and expecting you to be accountable for others' behavior? Self-deception, as Pastor DeGroote says, blinds us to the real cause of problems, and once blind, our self-reliant solutions will only make matters worse. You see, when you and I assume a position, an elevated position, an elevated perspective, and see others as less than, see others as, 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 as not doing what they're supposed to do, it's one thing for us to see it and to encourage them or to say, thus saith the Lord, but it's another thing for us to have feelings and emotions and feelings of disdain when we look at the actions or failures of others. You see, what would your, let me ask you this, what would your workplace or community look like if everyone gave up superiority forever? Would we have a homeless or poverty population if everybody didn't take an elevated position, but we saw uh, an, an accountability to other people as we encountered them, whether in the mall, whether in the workplace, whether at family unions, if we, we felt it was our responsibility as believers empowered by God to affect and change other people's lives, what would the world look like? What would your workplace look like if everyone in the office saw themselves as connected and not greater or lesser than one another? Would partisanship and tribalism be an issue in our government when we turn on the news, when we hear about the left or the right or the center, or when we see people taking their corners? Or would the marketplace be changed forever? Would this country be shifted if we all had an attitude of accountability to one another? Here's the bigger question. How many more people would be reachable for Christ if we permanently gave up superiority and we responded like Moses? We fell on our face and we, we cried out to God for their behalf, for the person standing in front of us.
Again, I bring you back to superiority is not about how you see others, but it's about how you see yourself. Let me offer a word of prayer. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity and a moment uh, to be able to share encouragement through your word. I thank you, God, for allowing my voice to continue during this recording, during this broadcast, to be able to speak your words and your truth and not my own. I pray that the hearts that you've touched, the ears that you've opened, God, that your word lands appropriately, that if there's any place that I've, I've, I've messed up or said anything in an offensive way, God, I pray that others hear your words as you want them to hear, whether it be conviction or encouragement, whether it be inspiration or, or action. God, I just pray that your will go forth. God, continue to bless us during this time, continue to guide us and go before us, establish our footsteps that we may walk in the pathways that you created, that the people that we would encounter are those that you are commissioning us to go and to speak into. God, we give you all the praise and honor in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. 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 God bless each and every one of you and have a blessed rest of the week. Enjoy.